Today's podcast is brought to you by Kills. The next time you need to deliver a professional paint job with results that last, make sure you're primed to win by using Kills Primer before you top coat. For over 40 years, Kills has created a full range of hardworking primers formulated to solve a variety of common problems on any surface and substrate and meet the demands of real job sites. From general purpose to specialty, both indoor and out, you can count on Kills Primers for results you can be proud of for years to come. To learn more about Kills Primers, go to kills.com slash primers. Kills. Every project is worth it. Welcome to Paint Radio with your host, Emily Howard and Andrew Dwyer. The APC podcast on Paint Radio. I'm Andrew. Emily is here. And, you know, one of the defining characteristics of a painting contractor is the incredibly broad scope of services they offer. And so that means APC similarly has to cover a very broad scope of services. And we do so on a broad Spectrum of platforms, print, e-newsletter, web, social, podcast, video. This, of course, is the APC podcast on paint radio. And we also deal with a very broad spectrum of contractor businesses, right? There's many different sizes. There's a very long trajectory. A lot of them change dramatically as they go along. Today's podcast is specifically geared toward newer and or smaller painting contractors, because we are talking about hiring your first employee. Emily, would you say I did justice to the topic, or are you cringing as you normally do? No, you did a great job. Bravo. Nice. Going to cut that and put it in my highlight reel. She said I did a good job. So joining us on today's podcast is Chris Moore. He's the founder and executive advisor at Elite Business Advisors. The website is EliteBusinessAdvising.com. Chris Moore, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. It's going to be a fun episode. We hope so. We certainly hope it's going to be fun. (laughs) So you founded Elite Business Advisors. You did this either after or during you were a painting contractor. You've got a ton of experience as a painting contractor. Before we dive into the topic, just what prompted you to start this business, Elite Business Advisors. Yeah, so I'll give you the short answer here in about 20 minutes. So, um, (laughs) you know, I think for me, this was always my long-term goal and passion. I got started in the painting industry when I was 19 years old as a sophomore in college with a company called Student Painters. And the premise of Student Painters, for those that aren't familiar with it, was basically to provide college internships for business students to see what it's like to run and manage a small business. We did exterior house painting, We ran our businesses during the summer in between semesters of college, and I started as an intern with them. And so I always tell people I have a very different perspective of the painting world because I came into it from a business mind first, learned to be a craftsperson instead of kind of a lot of the traditional senses, you start as a painter and then you start your own business, right? So I came into it through a very different lens. I stayed with student painters for seven years. I ran the St. Louis, the Missouri and Illinois region for them, coached our interns, did all the, you know, kind of coaching, advising, training, all the stuff I'm doing now for our college students. And 
It was an amazing experience. It was a great company. I still keep in touch with a lot of people there today, but it was just kind of time to move on. It was a great intro to the business world for me, and it was time to move on. And you know, I'll never forget, I got home that night uh, after we kind of decided it was time to part ways. And uh, my wife's like, so uh, what are you going to do? <laughs> like, I think we'd been married for less than a year. She's like, oh, so you quit your job today. That's cool. I'm glad we talked about that. I'm kidding. We actually did talk about it ahead of time. But, um, you know, and I told that her, was your first wife, I said, I apparently. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it was the first one. I'm on number five because I keep making bad mistakes. So I told her, I said, I know how to run a painting business. You know, I've been doing it for seven years. I've been coaching people. I always kind of had my own business while I was coaching others. And I was like, I'm going to go do that for a few years before I'm really ready to dive into what I'm doing now. And so I really tried to shorten this story as much as possible, but I had to give you the full backstory. And so when I opened Elite Painting, I knew it was a three to four year plan for me so that I could start building Elite Business Advisors because I wasn't really ready at the time. I wasn't sure how to do it and what to do, right? So the last two years I had my painting company, I, I was running it in addition to this business and I was building this business while I had my painting company. Beginning of 2020, I made the full-time switch. So that's the long answer to your question. I mean, everybody's on a different path, right? And clearly it sounds yeah. like you're a coach at heart, yep. which is awesome. We need so many coaches. So again, the topic today is how to hire, how to know when to hire your first employee. And so assuming you're a painting contractor who has that desire, who has the desire right. to get bigger, because let's face it, some people don't, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if the pain point is spreading, there's more pain than there used to be, how do you know that, huh, maybe I should be looking into hiring somebody. You know, I think there's a couple of things. I think one, I'm going to go with an intangible thing first, kind of an internal feeling that you may not love painting. Like for me, I was more passionate about running a business than I was passionate about holding a paintbrush or a roller in my hand. You know, and so I think that that's one thing to understand, like, what is your goal, right? Again, as you mentioned, some people are totally fine just being by themselves. They know what size projects they can handle by themselves. They love painting and they can make a good living doing it without having to work 60 to 80 hours a week. But for those people that want more, they want to, you know, influence more people. The first kind of tangible thing that I always recommend our clients look at is, how much work do you have on the books consistently? I'm not talking just in the peak of spring and summer when most markets exteriors, you know, open up, uh, at least here in St. Louis, you know, extra season runs anytime. This year it's looking like it's going to be May 1st, but, um, you know, through the end of October. And so, you know, I always ask people, how much work do you have in the books? And for me, the golden rule is about six to eight weeks. Like to meet the demand of your work has to precede hiring somebody. And I use that for all subsequent hires too, right? So let's say, for example, you're by yourself. You do consistently book out about six to eight weeks, you know, year round for the most part, maybe four weeks around the holidays, but then it quickly picks back up and then you hire that first employee. And then you get back to a spot where you're booking out six to eight weeks for you and your one employee. Then that's when it's about time to hire number two and then number three. And that trend should kind of continue as you grow out your business. So it sounds like the first person that you're going to be hiring is going to be a painter, not necessarily admin. Yeah, I think to me, an admin person needs to come at least after painter number three or four. We advise our clients based on what are they good at and what do they love doing? That's one thing I always say I love about entrepreneurship is you can literally create your business and build people in your team around yourself that you can focus on what you're good at and what you enjoy doing. You know, we do have a couple of clients that they have five or six employees, but they actually do love picking up a paintbrush a day or two a week. 
And so we say, okay, that's fine. You need to hire an admin person, right, to fulfill some of the stuff you don't love doing that you're probably not good at because you're not passionate about it. And offset that with spending a day or two in the field each week painting, right? So, yeah, I think, you know, you always have to hire a painter first, at least. I wouldn't typically entertain the thought of an admin person until you have at least two people, probably three. And I do want to clarify with that. I'm not talking about outsourcing pieces of your business, right? So maybe bookkeeping, maybe your payroll service, maybe even hiring a virtual assistant just for a couple hours a week or having, you know, some automated processes set up. I'm talking literally hiring an admin person. I think you can start outsourcing those things, even if it's just yourself, that that should be something if you're not an expert in accounting, <laughs> you should probably pay somebody to do that for you or at least pay them to double check your stuff. And the strategy behind hiring those painters first, right, is I'm assuming what you're trying to do is you're, you're trying to bolster those revenue-creating positions before you start putting any. And like you said, a virtual assistant, outsourcing a couple of things is a different situation. But you're really trying to make sure that your revenue is where you need it to be before you start putting support roles in place who yes. won't be generating revenue. Exactly, exactly. And I think that that's one thing that people have to be very intentional about with guarding is who are you paying to do things that are not generating profit for your business, right? Again, if you're paying somebody to do your bookkeeping and that frees you up five hours a month, well, you can probably go make enough money in those five hours to offset the cost of your bookkeeping and come out ahead. But I think that that's really where the rubber hits the road is when you have to pay somebody an overhead cost to literally it, it's a convenience thing, and it's a thing to allow your business to probably grow quicker and serve your clients better without it really putting any money back in your business. And that, that's why you have to have enough painters helping produce enough revenue and profit for the company to then be able to afford those roles. Okay, so what we're talking about here is bringing in the first employee, that's a painter. Yes. What kind of structure do you need to put in place before you even start promoting that you're going to hire yes. for this job so that you can ensure that this person, well, I mean, you can never ensure that someone's going to be successful, but <laughs> right. you know, right. the idea is you're creating an environment where they are most likely to be successful. Right. I think that it's good. And I love, you know, you just said a very key word there, Emily structure. You have to have structure when you hire employees. I think that's probably the number one mistake I see most painting contractors make when they go from themselves to their first employee is they're literally just kind of doing it on a whim and they don't have any structure. They don't have any organized plans for anything. And not that you have to sit down and type out a 10 page business plan just to hire your first employee. I'm not talking that, but there's a few key things that we recommend putting in place. And so I'll kind of run through those here with you guys. And so the first thing is having a good job description written before you can start advertising. You know, you need to have a good job description written. That's going to be catchy. That's going to be, accommodating for people that's going to filter out some people as well. You know, Nick Slavic, I really love his decent human being theory, right? To look for good people and train them to be painters. And most of the time, especially in a first employee, you can afford to do that. You don't have to look for somebody that has 5, 10, 15, 20 years of experience. Some people may want that person first. Again, everybody's situation is going to be different, but I really love Nick's, you know, kind of decent human being theory on that. And so, you know, I think it's important to have a good job description written that 
outlines who you are, who your company is, what you guys believe in. A lot of people these days are looking for a certain degree of flexibility, right? And certain intangible things that maybe wasn't offered as much 10 years ago. With a little less emphasis on pay, I don't want to say they're willing to work for $10 an hour or anything, you know, super, super low, but it's not necessarily always about the money as much as it is about the culture and the environment you provide for them. So I think writing a job description to kind of convey that message would be the, a big thing. Then the next thing that I'm very big on, and we've kind of have a template together. So if anybody would like a copy of this, feel free and reach out. I know Andrew had mentioned our website, just send something through on it. And I'm happy to share this with you. But having kind of an apprenticeship checklist of what the path looks like from a first day employee, all the way through maybe to a crew leader, what it looks like to grow within your company. This is a very good thing to kind of cast the vision, especially for a first employee of like, hey, you don't have to become the leader of our production team, if you don't want to be, but like, this is what's possible. If you want to go from making, you know, and this number is going to vary in all markets. I understand that. But, you know, if you want to go from making $15 an hour up to $25 an hour, here's the path on how you can do that. And here's the skill set at each of the five stages that, you know, we expect, okay, when you can start doing this, then you warrant a $2 an hour raise and so forth. And so just having something, again, put together, we have a template that, again, you know, we encourage people to customize to their feeling to it, but it's just more of the intangible checklist of skills to walk them down that path. And so that's something that we get a lot of good feedback on, because again, it's that structure and that organization to follow along with that would be a seven day, 30 day, 60 day and 90 day review. And to set that in your calendar, when you hire somebody, be prepared for it, have questions and topics written out. And we found that when you have structured reviews put in place, it's much easier to criticize and correct rather than that awkward conversation, right? Like, oh, when do I talk to him about this? I'm a very conflict adverse person. I had to have structure in my life with my employees because then that was when I was like, hey, this is the intent of this meeting is for us to sit down and talk <laughs> about your performance, about what I can do better and have an open dialogue. Because otherwise, every day I'm like, oh, do I do it at the end of the day? Do I do it on Friday and ruin their weekend? What's the best way? So I like having that structure. And then the fourth thing is to just have a job expectation sheet. Like, what are you expecting out of them? When it comes to, you know, what are your work times? What do they wear? What do they need to provide? Do you pay them for lunches? I don't recommend doing that, by the way. How long is their lunch break? You know, just like, what is the overall expectations of the job? Can they listen to music on the job site? What are those types of things? I think if you can have those four things put together, I mean, again, you can always change and iterate them as time goes on. But if you can have those four things put together before you start looking for employees, I think you're going to be night and day ahead of a lot of other contractors. Today's podcast is brought to you by Company Cam. The only app every painter needs, Company Cam makes it dead simple to communicate, document, and problem solve with your crew no matter where you are. Company Cam brings documentation, communication, and liability protection together in one simple, easy to use app for you and your entire team. Take unlimited photos and videos share custom reports, create flawless before and afters, and even communicate and share progress with homeowners, with galleries and project timelines, all from your smartphone. Company Cam, the only app every painter needs. Check it out at companycam.com slash paint radio. That's us, paint radio, companycam.com. 
Facebook.com slash paint radio or check them out in your app store. Company Cam, the only app every painter needs. Chris, you know, you do a very good job of taking the intangible, as you describe, and really making it tangible. You should think about becoming yes. some sort of like business coach or something. You're very good at this. Thank oh, wait. you. I appreciate that. That's what you do for a living. So, oh, yeah. I love that list. Fabulous. I can tell you my own, uh, not to make this about me, but let's face it, the podcast is really about me. Uh, it I've is. got, I'm just, I'm just here. I'm just here I've as a got, guest. I've got older kids and I love experiencing their first jobs through them or even if summer jobs when they were in college. And man, I can tell you that so many companies don't do this at all. It's, uh, exactly. I'm not telling you something you don't know. So something more practical, more boring also. What about the legal or financial hoops that you really got to jump through the papers you have to have in order to truly bring on your first employee? Cause it's not just a handshake and a, and even if you go through what you just described, which would be tremendous, you got to document some stuff. So can you walk us yeah. through that very boring, but necessary process? Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll try to make this quick. Cause this isn't as much fun as when I talk about taxes <laughs> during my financial talks. So I'm um, happy tax day, by the way. Uh, hopefully yes. everybody filed that at the time of recording here. Otherwise, by the time they listen to this, they're already late. So I guess that's not going to do anybody any good, but excellent point. Um, so some of the things that you have to have in place from a business point of view, and you're right, this is another really big stumbling point I see with a lot of people when they hire employees is not having all or any of these items in place really and just hiring people and, and moving forward with it. And so the first thing from a company perspective, some people may already have this if you have an LLC set up or something more so, is to have your EIN number through the IRS, uh, your employer identification number. This is something I recommend everybody to do as soon as you start your business anyways, because this is basically your business's social security number, essentially, so you don't have to use your personal on everything, any documents and forms you'd have to fill out. But that's the first thing, you have to have an EIN number. The next thing would be to start getting some quotes on your workers' comp. In my opinion, you don't need to get that until you're actually hiring that first employee. So it can be something that you shop around. If you know it's coming up and you're going to hire somebody in the next one to three months, start talking to your insurance rep and get some prices together on that and be ready to pull the trigger to start it once you're ready for it. But it's good to start that ahead of time and not, hey, I've got my first employee starting Monday. It's Friday <laughs> at two o'clock and I have to find workers' comp insurance. I don't recommend taking that path. The couple legal forms that they will have to fill out for being an employee is the W-4, which is the withholding forms, and the I-9, which is the citizenship form from the government. They will have to fill out both of those forms, so just make sure you can get a free copy of those online. Just search it. I know the W-4 is on the IRS website. I want to say the I-9 is too, so you can just download those for free and have them fill it out. And guess what? If you need help on filling those out, there's this great thing called YouTube. Check it out. I'm sure there's a video somewhere on there about it. So... <laughs> The next thing would be getting ready to set up for running payroll. This isn't something you have to start until you have your first employee, but determine whether you're going to do that yourself through, say, like QuickBooks, or there's another popular service called Gusto, and obviously tons of other ones out there. But check and see what that's going to cost you. Make sure to kind of factor that into your monthly expenses. Or are you going to outsource that to somebody? Start shopping some quotes if you don't even want to deal with it. When I first ran payroll, I didn't want to deal with it because I didn't know everything that went into it, right? The tax filings, the state, the federal, the unemployment, all the stuff that goes with it. So that's like one thing I really recommend to people is like, 
find somebody that you trust that is relatively inexpensive that you can just outsource that to because they know way more about it than most of us do. <laughs> so be prepared for that. The other couple of things, and these are the real boring ones, as if that list wasn't boring enough, would be, you know, an employee handbook, having policies and stuff, having that put together. I do recommend having an attorney review that or help put that together for you. Uh, again, I'm sure there's some great templates out there as far as, you know, a good starting point with it. But having an employee handbook with your policies and procedures for a lot of things, that really helps just set the expectations. You know, as you mentioned, Andrew, a lot of companies maybe don't do well with the expectation side of things. So this kind of takes that job expectation list and puts it in a contract agreement type situation, if you will. And this comes in very handy if you do have to discipline people because you have documented proof that they've read it and they've agreed to the terms in this handbook. Uh, and so that really can help if later on down the road, if you have to let an employee go, if you have documented proof and document when they break the conduct of the handbook. And then the last one, safety considerations, having a good plan for a safety plan, how you're going to train them, acknowledging that they've been trained on ladder safety if you have to get on roofs, roof safety, lead paint, whatever your business encounters with that, it's a good idea to have a documented training program for a lot of those things. And again, there's a lot of great resources out there between PCA and APC and all over the place to get some of that information. So that would be kind of my tedious list of the things you really need to make sure you have in place from a legal perspective. People ask us a lot about benefits. That's something that I think should come more so down the road as you have more employees. Uh, there's a lot of different opportunities out there on how you can handle that. But I wouldn't worry about that right off the bat for new employees. Well, and circling back really quickly to payroll, you were saying that that was something that you immediately outsourced. I mean, and you're right, it's tax day. Like we just went through all that and I'm reminded yes. every year how complicated that process is. Yeah. And so if you decide to keep that and you're running your own payroll, we actually got this question from a contractor. Are you as the employer able to withhold those taxes or do you have to have an accountant or is it just that the accountant or your bookkeeper, whoever probably just knows more about the tax laws as far as how much you need to be withholding. So this is definitely not one of those things I recommend somebody sit down with like a piece of paper and calculate payroll yourself. Like if you're going to do it yourself, utilize a service. You know, again, I mentioned QuickBooks, Gusto, and plenty of other opportunities out there. Utilize a service yourself that will actually run everything and it will tell you how much to write your checkout for, like what the net pay is after everything. It will show you how much you withhold. The biggest thing for me, why I like to outsource that to somebody is, you know, when you withhold the money, right, from their check, then within the next two weeks or monthly, depending on how big your company is in your payroll, you have to pay that money to the federal, to your state, with the employer taxes portion on it, you know, usually once a quarter, Sometimes once a month, again, depending on business size, you have to pay the unemployment aspect of it. So the payroll service at least goes through and breaks down all the numbers on what's coming out of that check and what's going on with it. But then you have to have some sort of a reminder <laughs> to actually pay those things, right? Whereas with a lot of payroll services, they will either send a reminder to you and then you just got to get on and make the payment. Or a lot of them are kind of a full service thing that they just get on and make those payments for you. So you don't have to worry about it. And so for me, that's really where the value comes into outsourcing that is find somebody that will just take care of it for you because... I've been there when you're running a painting business, especially when it's you by yourself or you and three employees, your mind usually isn't on paying your payroll taxes. <laughs> like usually it's on 
putting out fires, uh, hopefully not often, but when it comes up, um, you know, getting jobs lined up, selling more work, marketing your business. There's so many things that go into it that like the nitty gritty tax detail is usually like the last thing on your mind. And so in my opinion, that's a very good thing to outsource to somebody that can just take care of it for you. That's, I think that's extremely helpful. Thank you. Well, so once you've gotten through all of this very, very important, albeit boring stuff and you feel ready, you know, you're ready to get out yes. there and you're ready to start marketing your job. What are your suggestions for advertising for this new hire? Do you have any favorite platforms, any favorite strategies? Yeah, yeah I'll share a few different things here. So as far as like platforms on where to advertise for it, one thing that we have a lot of success with with clients is Indeed. Indeed is an online recruiting tool. And we have a lot of painting contractors that get a lot of very good applicants through there. So that would be like my number one place that I would look at would be Indeed. The next thing being social media. So I think social media tends to work out very well running, you know, ads on Facebook. You do have to make sure that you are not discriminating on anything on there. Not that you should be anyways, don't get me wrong, uh, but Facebook has like extra, extra guidelines, shocker, like they do everything else that you have to follow to make sure your ad follows all these compliance things. It's not too tedious. Again, things you should be doing anyways, but running ads on social media, posting it from your business account, sharing it on your personal pages, that sort of stuff. Utilize your networks. Like this is one area that I feel like people, they say they use, but I don't think they really utilize is who do you know through other people? Those were some of my favorite hires when it was like, hey, somebody so-and-so's friend is looking for a job, right? Because I didn't have a personal relationship with this employee then at that point to where I felt like I could effectively manage them, again, being conflict adverse. But we had like a tie through the mutual friend, right? That like the person wasn't really going to let me down, <laughs> at least not intentionally in the beginning. So, you know, I think utilizing your network again, posting on your personal social media pages, Hey, I'm looking for this. Who do you know? Especially as friends, kids get older, right? 16, 18 years old after college, you know, any of those types of things. If you're looking for somebody young and coachable, utilize your networks. I think that's something that people don't really utilize enough, especially those people that are in networking groups, whether it's something like BNI, Chamber of Commerce, any type of networking environment where you're networking with other people and business owners, utilize those connections um, because I think you can really get a lot of good candidates from that. You know, we also, this is a good time to mention that we launched a new premium service at APC called APC Plus. And if you subscribe to that, you can hear Chris explain what to do if unexpectedly your spouse applies for the position. Very dicey situation. <laughs> but again, you got to pay. It happened in three of my five marriages. So uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. You if anybody up. didn't, if anybody missed the first part of the episode, that was 100% a joke. But that's right. That's. <laughs> We love reference jokes, man. But yes, you have to pay up if you want to hear that content. So you've got some solid applicants. You're ready to start interviewing. You know, walk us through the art because I'm guessing it's not a science of interviewing these people and how to pick the best of the crop. Yep. Like everything, um, I'm a big systems and processes person, not just because it makes life easier for you, but I think when you have kind of a system, it's easier to follow. And so you get a lot of people that will apply. Hopefully, if you write the job description, if you write the ad, wherever you're promoting it well, again, I'm going to defer back to, to Nick Slavik's 
um, kind of his method on recruiting and stuff with, you know, looking for the decent human being. And really what Nick recommends is to like have a couple of hurdles. I don't know if hurdles is really the right word, but have a couple of things that they have to do to be considered for the position. So whether that's maybe they attach a resume and then this is my language, so I'm not going to throw Nick under the bus here on this, but, um, you know, they attach their resume and then they also attach a one page or three paragraphs about why they would want to come work for your company or something like that. And basically what it does is it weeds out a lot of people that may just be on some of these services and just click and apply, apply, apply. And if you get a hundred applicants, you're like, holy crap, how do I filter through this? Well, if like 70% of them didn't even follow the directions, they just weeded themselves out, right? So now you've only got 30% of people to follow up with. And so have some kind of like step-by-step things. You know, I know some people have used like forms on their websites, like contact forms, and it, you know, they kind of go through and it's, I don't want to say super intense, but it, it can take 15 to 20 minutes. And you know, if somebody goes through and spends the time doing those things and answering questions, that they're actually serious about the job. And so I think that that will kind of help weed people out because, again, I'm all about being efficient with your time. So I think that's the first thing. After that, if you get to, say, 100 people apply, um, which, again, not many people would complain about, but if a lot of them aren't good quality candidates, you got to weed that down. Send out a, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of doing, like, personality assessments. I think for every employee, you should, you know, at some point do a personality assessment, whether you spend money and do a very thorough one, or you can just kind of find something to get a good gauge on how to manage these people. I think that could be a great screening process of like, hey, okay, I got 30 people now I got to follow up with. I'm going to send this personality assessment for them to take. And then that's probably going to weed out maybe another 10 to 15 to 20 people because they don't do it. Right. And so, again, just kind of keep like funneling people down until you get a handful of solid candidates. Um, and then I usually follow up with a phone call. If I haven't already, you may do the phone call and then send out the assessment, but follow up with a phone call and, and kind of have a 15 minute conversation, get to know them a little bit more. And then if you like them, then sit down with the in-person interview. And so that's kind of my funnel. I like to filter people through when I'm recruiting or when we're recommending to recruit employees is have certain things they need to do to where you're dwindling down and maybe you're only meeting with three people in person or five people in person versus a hundred, right? Because that's just not feasible, especially for your first employee. You don't have time to meet with a hundred people, especially if 80% of them shouldn't even be there. What are your thoughts on group interviews? We've heard a couple people talk about that, like bringing in groups of people and, you know, sort of talking to them about their company and what their expectations are. We've typically heard larger contractors talk about that. So I'm curious as to whether or not that's a strategy that could be used when you're just you. Yeah, I mean, it definitely is. I'm glad you mentioned that because I do agree. I think that's more of a strategy for a larger company because typically, the group interview is going to be more beneficial when you're probably looking to hire three employees at a time, right? You're maybe looking to go from seven employees to 10, 10 to 13, or whatever the numbers are. So you're looking to hire in larger quantities. The group interviews become more valuable, again, because you're just kind of filtering out and, and being efficient with your time. As a whole, I'm on the fence about them. I've seen them executed well, and I think it's been great for the companies that have done it. But I think on the flip side, my concern with it is if you set up a group interview for four people, five people to come, and only two of them show up, the two people that show up are kind of going, even though they probably shouldn't, they're kind of going, well, what did the other three find out that I didn't about this company, right? Why are they not here? Did they hear something about them? Like, you know, you kind of start to doubt it. So I think it really only works well when 80% of the people you schedule for the group interview show up, 
and it's like, oh, okay, there's a lot of other people here. If, uh, again, when it's only one, or say one person shows up, and you're like, well, I guess we're going to offer this person the job. <laughs> like, you know, so I, I think it, I think it can create some awkwardness. And so if anything, I would, if you're wanting to have an interview with four or five people, I would slot eight or 10 people into it. And I guess worst case scenario, I'll eight of them show up. That's a good problem to have. So what about once you've gotten past this interview process, you've found your first employee, which is a huge milestone. I don't know why the first day with a first employee, <laughs> I have like pictures of Michael Scott in my, oh my head gosh, and how yes. he would handle that and how wrong that would be. <laughs> what do you recommend for the first day of your first employee? Well, I think first and foremost, don't be drinking coffee out of a cup that says world's best boss on the first day. <laughs> um, I think that's that's a safe, safe bet there. I think this is where kind of having some of the structure and stuff put in place ahead of time can really save you when it comes to that first day. And really just understanding like where you want them to start. I would always tell people like, hey, listen, I'm going to just pretend like you don't know anything. They really might not. <laughs> or they might be like, oh, yeah, I painted for somebody for six months. And I'm going to say, that's fine. I'm just going to start like, let's start from scratch. I want to show you how we do things our way. Right. My company is called Elite Painting. So I always said, this is how we do it the Elite Painting way. And so, you know, I think it really just kind of becomes assessing their skill set assessing their work ethic and, and kind of where they're at with things and just walking them through the basics, right? So I use interior painting as my kind of go-to example. Obviously the same holds true for exteriors, but get there on the first day. You've already got all the paperwork. Everything's filled out ahead of time. So let me clarify this. The first day of work should be the first day of actual work. It shouldn't be two hours of orientation and paperwork, and then you start painting on a job site. You should have that orientation, paperwork meeting, build out ahead of time. They show up Monday morning, 7.30, ready to go. And so I think you really just kind of start walking them through. And I, I think the biggest thing is you need to work side by side with them for at least that first week pretty well. So try to put your estimates off till late in the afternoon. You dip out an hour early, you know, or you do it in the evenings or something. But you don't really want to leave them on the job site until you can trust them, right? And I think that that's where having that first employee becomes a hard balance for a lot of business owners to walk because they're used to being on their own and having the flexibility. And now you're like, oh, well, now I got to be on the job site with them eight hours a day for five days a week. And I'm like, yeah, at least for the first week. You know, second week, you can maybe leave them for an hour here, an hour there if, if they're kind of warranting it. So that's where I think being prepared can, can really help benefit people here. But just work side by side with them and kind of assess where they're at and start with the prep work. Start with having them lay stuff out. And again, the apprenticeship walkthrough that we have kind of lays that out. Like, hey, when you start out as, you know, a brand new apprentice, maybe you've never painted before. Here's like the 10 tasks you should be doing. And a lot of it is just doing the grunt work and like the little tedious things that you shouldn't spend your time doing because you're a much quicker higher quality painter than they are, right? So pulling outlet covers off the walls, taping off anything that needs it, laying out drop pots, um, spackling nail holes, like all those little things that they can easily do that you shouldn't spend your time doing and you're doing the hard stuff, cutting in the tedious drywall repairs, those types of things. Dang, Chris, that's another efficient, practical podcast in the Paint Radio Hopper. Great information, Chris. I appreciate it. If people were to wander over to EliteBusinessAdvising.com, what would you direct them to? Or what should they look for at your website? Yeah, so um, there's an information 
contact form that they can fill out at the bottom. You know, we are in the process of building out some more resources and stuff. Again, we have a lot of stuff built out that people are more than welcome to submit their info and tell us, say, hey, we heard this on, uh, you know, the Paint Radio podcast. Uh, you mentioned this apprenticeship walkthrough. You mentioned your review process. Just submit their info, and, and we're happy to share some of those documents with them. And so I would say that would probably be the biggest biggest asset coming from our website is if there's some resources that we've talked about or they just want to chat with us. They've got some questions or they want to see how we can help them. Again, we're always here. We do free business analysis meetings and uh, love to have that conversation. Tremendous. Again, he's Chris Moore, founder and executive advisor at Elite Business Advisors. The website is EliteBusinessAdvising.com. Excellent assets. Also great assets. PaintMag.com. Once a month, Emily gives me the admin password to that website, and I get to tinker on a couple things, but mainly that's Emily's doing, and that's why it works so well. So go check out Emily's website at paintmag.com, and even more important, have a stellar day. Keep up the good work. We'll see you next time.